1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and, the, and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light up a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much. Uh, if you're new to church, um, each time we come, we uh, feed from God's Word. We read God's Word together, and we come to it expectantly um, for God to speak to us. Uh, but we know that that only happens when really God does speak, so why don't we pray that God will speak through these words. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for your love for us, that you didn't leave us alone, uh, that you have revealed yourself. And we thank you for these words of the Bible, these words that speak to who you are and what you have done for each one of us. And we pray that as we come to this text, these words will come alive. And we pray that you'll open our eyes to see the truth of your word. And we pray for some who don't yet know you, that these words will be planted deep in their hearts that they might come and bear fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can tell a lot about a person by seeing who their friends are. Um, this is, I think, Rebecca and Rebecca's friends. I'm not sure what that says about Rebecca. But you can find out a lot about who their friends are, actually, by seeing who they eat with, who they have over for dinner. And that's why our passage today is so shocking, isn't it? Because this is what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus was eating with some of the worst of people in that, from that society. Tax collectors were traitors. When Israel was under Roman subjugation, these Jews took money from other Jews to give to the Roman government. They were traitors. They were considered worst of the bunch. Jesus was eating with other sinners too. They might have been adulterers. They might have been prostitutes, drunkards. He's accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, isn't he? Because he hangs out with them. This is genuinely shocking stuff. I mean, wouldn't it be shocking to you if you saw me in the middle of the night in Wan Chai eating dinner, drinking with a whole bunch of prostitutes in Wan Chai? 
You know, if there were triad members with tattoos who were over for dinner in my house, wouldn't you be shocked? And don't think that Jesus thinks that there's some great misunderstanding about who these people are. He doesn't say, no, 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 you can't judge Michelle the prostitute. Michelle has to do this because she has to support her young child, and she has no other way of earning a living. But she really has a heart of gold. This is not what she said, what he says. He doesn't defend Matthew the tax collector by saying, no, 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 you misunderstand him. He's been bullied all of his life. Uh, and because he once, he's been bullied and he's been an outsider, he became a tax collector. He really had no choice about it. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus is not some great proponent of liberal ideals. You see, Jesus never excuses their sin. He knows who they are. Think about what he actually says about them. He compares them to sheep. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you know what I'm going to say about sheep. Uh, the fact that, that he calls them sheep isn't flattering, is it? Sheep are stupid and dirty and, and dumb, uh, stubborn. They're so stupid that they don't even know when they're lost. You know, when they're found, dogs... If you see a lost dog, but then he sees an owner, it will run after the owner. It will welcome the owner, and it will follow the owner home. Not so with the sheep. They don't even know that they're lost. They don't even know that they're rescued. In order to rescue a sheep, the shepherd has to go and bind the leg of these sheep, right? The sheep, and put it upon his shoulder to take it home. This is the only way to rescue a sheep. So this is what Jesus says about these people. You know, they're helpless. They're lost. And they are sinners. And this is a question that we need to ask ourselves. How about you? Are you a sinner? Are you lost? Or do you think you're more like the Pharisees or the teachers of the law who look down on other sinners? In ninth grade, I was forced to read a book, A Scarlet Letter. Uh, if you know the story, it's about Hester Prynne, who has to wear the scarlet A um, on her chest because she's committed adultery. She's, um, uh, the, 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 the town condemns her and shames her because she, fought, uh, she, she gave birth to a child while her husband uh, was away, while she was waiting for the husband to come. What comes to light later is that the father of the illegitimate child is actually the town pastor. And not only that, and he, he wears a scarlet A on his chest. But the most sinister character in this book is actually the actual husband of Hester Prynne, who is vindictive and unforgiving until the very end of the book. And what the book shows is that there is no one without sin. Everybody's a sinner. No one's above reproach. Tax collectors and sinners, well, it's easy to condemn them who wear the scarlet A, those who are obviously sinners. But it's clear in the rest of the Bible, it's clear in the rest of Luke, this book that we read from, that Jesus calls everyone, everyone sinners. And Jesus spares no, no words in condemning some of these people, Pharisees and the tax collectors. This is what he says, said about them. Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup, of the, a cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves. 
Outside you are clean, but inside you are full of greed. Outside you look like you are alive and well, but you are unmarked graves, he says. People who have the veneer of respectability, people, it's not all of us. But as we look inside, don't we know that there's something wrong with us that our inside are full of bad things, that things that we are ashamed of? Let me make this clear. Jesus isn't admired and loved because he made us feel good about who we are by saying, oh, actually, there is nothing really wrong with you. You are okay. He doesn't do that. In fact, he makes it very clear. He made it very clear that all of us are sheep, dumb, stubborn, and lost. Instead of following God, we do our own thing. We've gone our own ways. And that's called sin. Rebelling against God the shepherd. You know, God has imprinted in each one of us this moral compass, his commands. We know what the right things are. We know what we're supposed to do. And yet, again and again and again, we ignore it. Again and again and again, we're unable to follow God's command. And that is sin. We'd like to believe that we're all okay. But we know, if, if we're honest, if we spend any time thinking about who we really are, I think we would arrive at the conclusion that there is something wrong with us. And we know this because all the wise people around the world have already said this. You know, uh, in my first year in uni, I took Philosophy 101, and we read parts of Plato's Republic. He imagines a ring there that that would make you invisible, and this is what he wrote. If one had such a ring, no man can be imagined to be of such an iron nature that he would stand fast in, uh, fast in justice. No man would keep his hand off what was not his own and he could say, uh, when he could safely take what he liked out of the market or go into houses and lie with anyone at his pleasure or kill or release from prison whom he would and in all respects be like a god among men. He says, look, if you had a chance to do bad things and not be caught, you would do bad things. This is who you are. A slightly more of a modern version of this is Lord of the Rings, right? Where Tolkien imagines that, that this ring is, um, it corrupts everyone. There's no one whose hearts are so pure that they can resist the power of the ring. What Tolkien is saying is we are all sinful, that there is something wrong with us. And that's why and this is also true of every religion. Every religion says, actually, there is something wrong with us. You know, Buddhists say, you need to be delivered from your own desires. You desire too many things. Your desires are inordinate. You need to be saved from that. Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, all of it talk about our sinful nature, how there's something wrong with us. Wise people agree. We are sinful. Our hearts need to be healed. So what about you? Do you really think that you're okay? Or as we look into your heart, as we look into our hearts, don't we recognize that our hearts are sick? There's something wrong. And every single religion recognizes uh, this problem, and most religions offer a version of this solution. They say, be better. Be moral. Here's an example of how to be moral. 
here is the way to be moral. And if you follow the way, if you do these right things, that you can become a better person. But this is a radical thing about Christianity. Jesus didn't say, you can, become, you can become acceptable to me if you do the right things, if you try hard enough. And this is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law got right about Jesus. Jesus welcomed sinners as they were. In fact, back in chapter 5, the same question was asked almost verbatim. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? At that time, Jesus answered, It's not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Once again, he didn't mince his words. He calls tax collectors and sinners sinners. Sick, people who need a doctor. But what he's saying there is that only those who recognize themselves to be sick, only those who recognize their hearts to be full of evil will come to me and be healed. And that's why he came, to tell us that there is something wrong with us, but that there is a way to be healed. That's why Jesus came. Some of you don't normally go to church and aren't Christians. We're so glad that you're here. And we really hope that you can come and explore continue to explore Christianity. I'll come this Saturday and Christianity Explored. But as you go, before you go, I want you to know one thing very clearly. That there is something that is, there is a difference between you and me. There is something, that, that there is a difference between you and other, uh, you and Christians. It's not that I or other Christians are better people. I know that I'm not. I'm constantly surprised by, by um, how angry and, and how pr- proud and all these things that I, I mean, I'm, it's not just me. I think Mary is sometimes surprised by how terrible I am. And I know that some of you, and I know many people who are not Christian who are morally better than I am, but still there is a difference between you and me and those people and Christians. The difference is this. You might still think that you're okay. You might think that you're not that bad, that you're spiritually more or less healthy. I don't think that, and Christians don't think that. We know and admit that our hearts are dirty, that it is sick, that we're lost without Jesus, but that we found the good news that Jesus offers, that he welcomes sinners, that he's come to heal the sick. We turned to him because we, need, we know that we needed him. That's the difference. Do you know that you need Jesus too? for your hearts to be cleansed, for you to be acceptable to God. And that's what repentance is, is turning from our own ways and looking to Christ for a new life. And look what happens if one turns to Christ. Look how Jesus describes them. They're rescued. They are found. Verse 7, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And this is the key. This is the, dif- the, the difference between lost and found is repentance. Difference between sickness and healing is repentance. Recognizing that we are sinners, that we turn to Christ. That's the difference. And if you come as you are, recognizing your need for forgiveness, he will forgive you. But if you don't think that you need that forgiveness, well, you won't receive it. 
The condition for becoming a Christian is not recognizing how healthy you need to be, but actually how sick you are. The condition for salvation is admitting that we need a Savior, that Jesus is the Savior that came for us. So if, you're, if you realize that you are lost, that you need Christ, if there is a sense in which you know, your heart is saying that actually this is, you, you need this, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Come to Christ. Turn to Christ. And if you do, he will welcome you. He welcomes sinners. And he will throw a block party for you. And that's what he says in verse 6 and, uh, and, and verse 9. Right? Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I have found my coin. He says in verse 10 that God rejoices in the presence of angels over one repentant sinner. I don't know about you, but as I was reading this, I found this slightly strange. Right? Who would throw a block party over one sheep, over one lost coin? If you're called to a block party by a shepherd who found one sheep out of a hundred, would you go? You know, wouldn't you think, well, I mean, I guess it's a happy occasion. You found that one lost sheep. That's cool. But is this really worth getting, gathering all these people to celebrate? Right? Same thing with the coin. Um, each coin was probably worth a day's worth um, of wages uh, of wage of, uh, for a low-earning person. So maybe, say, 500 Hong Kong dollars. If your neighbor came running to you and said, you know, I thought I lost $500, but I found it. Now let's gather all the friends that I have. Let's go to all the neighbors and gather them and throw a party because I have found the $500. It doesn't make sense. Here's the thing. Neither the sheep nor the coin is worth celebrating in this way. It's not worth that much. It's not worth celebrating with all the friends. And to be honest, I'm not sure if each one of us, in a way, is worth celebrating in this way. After all, each one of us is one of 7.4 billion people. This is uh, two kilograms of rice. In this bag is about, according to Google, um, this about 138,000 grains of rice. You know, it's a lot, right? But if you, got, if, if you lost one of these, if you lost one of these and you found it, would you care, right? If it's lost, it, it, it doesn't matter. I'll clean that up. <laughs> But here's the point. You see, God does throw a block party for each one of us. Not because we're valuable, but because he values us. This party shows how much God cares for each one of us. How much he cares. How much he loves us. He knows every single one of us by our name. And he throws a block party every time one repentant sinner comes to his son. This story talks about the shepherd leaving 99 and, and going after that one lost. Well, actually, the shepherd did come because God sent his son. And the rescue did happen, except it didn't happen sort of in this way. Instead of sinners like us being punished for what we've done, instead of dying the death that we deserve, Jesus died. 
He died in our place, and Jesus then gives us what he deserves, his honor, his eternal life, his eternal glory, his presence with the Father, all that is ours. The shepherd was killed so that the sheep could live. I mean, if you think about it, that sounds ridiculous, that the shepherd would die for the sheep. It sounds silly, but that's how much loved we are. We are of indescribable worth, each one of us, because God loved us that much that he would send his son to die for us. So I hope you see, you are a sinner. You're a sheep. You are stubborn. You are lost. You need healing. You need to be found. If you see that, then turn to Christ. And come to him who welcomes you just as you are right now. And come to him because he paid the cost for you to be cleansed. And if you do, he'll throw a block party for you. And here in Shatin Church, we too will rejoice with you coming to the Father. It really is an amazing love that God has shown us. Um, And I think one of the best ways of describing this is through songs. It's a gift that God has given us. And uh, Liv and Johnny will come and sing this song that speaks to God's love and what God has done for us and how much God loves each one of us. Uh, This is part of the song. So full of sin I often strayed, yet in love he sought me and on his shoulder gently laid. And home rejoicing brought me. And home rejoicing brought me. Could I just ask you to stay seated, listen to the words, reflect on the words. And um, if you're not yet a Christian, could you turn to him, turn to God and ask Christ to come into your heart. And after that, we'll stand and sing the final song together.